used to think time was my enemy My future wasn't looking good So worried about the things I couldn't see I couldn't see the things I could I was aging fearfully Worrying my life away When all along I should have been Thankful for every day Finally made a friend of time Now you could say that I'm Aging gratefully Broadcasting from the rolling hills of the beautiful Tennessee Valley from the foothills of the Great Smoky Mountains across this amazing nation and spanning the universe, you are listening to Aging Gratefully. I'm your host, gerontologist Holly Kelly, bringing you exceptional guests and novel information to ensure you age great, live full, and embrace each extraordinary day for the incredible gift it is. We broadcast on all your favorite players brought to you all over the world. Welcome to Aging Gratefully, most amazing listeners. So happy you're joining the show today. I appreciate that you find meaning in our messages and choose to spend one of your 168 hours a week with us. With that, let's strike our signature pose. Our global grin fest smiles across the mile. Self-care that is shareable as we welcome you to your today. That's definitely something to smile about. I think about smiling and even if your eyes are closed, do you know that you can feel the effects of your smile? Your neuropeptides are working their magic. And while your beautiful smile is visible to the outside world, it's working marvels on the inside as your brain releases dopamine, endorphins, and serotonin. It is said that even a fake smile can have a positive impact on your mood due to triggering this action by your facial muscles. So our smile kind of tricks our brain into happiness mode. What I call that alcohol-free cocktail party in your brain, on-demand mood lifter upper. So awesome. So let's smile more and worry less aging rebels. Now today, I'd like to start the hour with a short story by me. So there was the universe best tasting pie contest. People entered from all over the world, recipes that had been passed down through time and through families for generations were being prepared and baked up perfectly. It was such an anticipated event to win the universe best tasting pie contest. Best tasting pie in the world was super wow. It's like the world itself smelled like a big giant bakery. As families pitched in and prepared to submit the best baked pie, there were bake-offs around the world in various cities and then each country, and then it came down to the final 10 pies that were chosen as finalists. The crust had to be perfect. The pie had to be scrumptious. The ingredients second to none. And of course, the presentation had to be flawless. The eyes on these pies would, of course, be the world at large, but the judges would have the final say as to the winning world's best tasting pie. The day arrived in this small, sleepy, no-name town that the event was hosted in. This town had never seen such action as it came to life with television cameras and news crews. It was an overnight festival of food and celebrations rejoicing all things pies. At noon, 
the pies were to be unveiled for the onlookers to finally marvel the top 10 masterpieces, or should I say master pie-sis? Anyway, immediately there were admirers and gasps and even behind-the-scene bets as to who the winning best-tasting pie would be. But also, the unveiling of these pies was met with instant shock as people gasped in disbelief regarding one pie submitted. Pie number four was dreadful. It was the most horrible looking pie anyone had ever seen. Some of the ingredients were showing and they couldn't even tell what they were. The crust was made of who knew what and it was deformed and the presentation was nothing short of appalling. It was a lopsided baking disaster. Onlookers and attendees began to laugh, and it hit the airwaves that the pie had been entered as a silly joke, as the ugliest pie contest, and everyone was getting a big kick out of it and gave it no regard, other than it was being ghastly and meaningless and a complete ruse. At 12.15, the judges were to judge the pies. However, since it was the best tasting pie contest, before they brought the judges out to the public, it was said the most accurate way for the judges to rely on their tasting buds and tasting senses was for them to be blindfolded and not be persuaded or distracted by presentation. This would keep the process authentically trustworthy. It was asked for absolute quietness when each pie was tasted, though there was a murmur of giggles stirring during the tasting of number four. At 12.30, it was announced that number five was third place, number seven was second, and per the rules of entry, number four had a situation where the original baker had passed away, though chosen for the bake-off prior. In the event of such a situation, the official rules allowed the pie to continue through, on the finalist's behalf with another baker using the exact same ingredients. It was announced that Mrs. Bentley had won first place to the best tasting pie contest posthumously via her husband baking that pie he'd never baked before using her special recipe in honor of his beloved wife. You see, if the judges had seen that horrid looking pie, that Mr. Bentley baked up with so much love. I'm certain Mrs. Bentley's pie would have never won the best tasting pie contest, and they would have never discovered the best tasting pie in the whole universe. What are we missing, aging rebels, from the things we judge? Interestingly, the word judgment, a noun, is defined as the ability to make considered decisions or come to sensible conclusions, or also a misfortune or a calamity viewed as a divine punishment. But judgment can be cast often without our knowing and not necessarily with malice intent at all. It's just there happening on autopilot with years of reinforcement of a repetitive pattern. From the cars we drive to the clothes we wear to the way we think or even our feelings, perhaps even yucky looking pies, Judgments are often first nature before we actually do take time for that deliberation. Let's see, back to that definition. Oh yeah, to come to sensible conclusions. Do we always give ourselves that chance? Notice I said ourselves, because in the story above, wow, I'd be remiss to miss out on that awesome pie. On this show, 
one of the greatest things I love about you aging rebels is that we are open to new ideas. I've said before, this show is never cookie cutter. We have brought episodes that were unconventional, novel, and guests with platforms that have piqued our curiosity, pushed our comfort zones, and even questioned our previous beliefs about various subject matters. And we allowed for the opportunity to grow in knowledge, to be irredute students in life and see what showed up with another scholar who shared a viewpoint we had never heard before. One, out of curiosity, and the other because we felt obliged to our pledge to continue on a path of enlight you meant and leave ourselves open to new possibilities of thought, ideas, practices, and even modalities of which we may align. We were never closed because we decided to not be confined to the in-the-box thinking, but instead throw out the box altogether and navigate on our terms and see what showed up. I love that about you, Aging Rebels, because on your growing older journey, you do come to sensible conclusions and you allow yourself this. And that's why you rock and roll model. And that brings us to this week's Aging Gratefully Alphabet Soup for the Psyche, a quote by Wayne Dyer, judgments prevent us from seeing the good that lies, lies beyond appearances. And this week's show dedication is to the word heedful. It's an adjective and it means taking heed, attentive, mindful, thoughtful, being aware of or attentive to. Today, I want to continue this conversation as we talk about non-judgment and how we can potentially discover more in life with a returning guest you're going to love. Greg Hammer, MD, is a professor at Stanford University School of Medicine, pediatric and care physician, pediatric anesthesiologist, mindfulness expert, and the author of Gain Without Pain, the Happiness Handbook for Healthcare Professionals. A member of the Stanford WellMD Initiative, Dr. Hammer is currently the chair of the Physician Wellness Task Force for the California Society of Anesthesiologists. He has been a visiting professor and lecturer on wellness at institutions worldwide and teaches gain to medical students, residents, and fellows at Stanford. Dr. Hammer's clinical focus is in pediatric cardiac anesthesia and pediatric, this is a tongue twister, anesthesia and pediatric critical care medicine. His research is in developmental pharmacology and immunology, and he has an active laboratory with multiple ongoing studies in these areas. He has published widely on topics related to pharmacology and perioperative care of children undergoing cardiac and thoracic procedures, as well as organ transplantation. Dr. Hammer is a health enthusiast and meditator utilizing a non-duality and mindfulness-based approach, including the GAIN method. I invite you to learn more about him and connect with him by visiting him at www.greghammermd.com. It is with great pleasure. So excited to welcome you back to the Aging Gratefully Show. Greg Hammer, welcome to the show. Thank you, Holly. Great to be with you again. Uh, we're so excited to have you back for this important conversation because when I read about your latest work that you're focusing on, I mean, we love talking about your last book, um, Game Without Pain, The Happiness Handbook for Healthcare Professionals. But when I read about your non-judgment work and mindfulness, I was like, this is important because it's like second nature. 
and so automatic that we often don't even really acknowledge that we're doing this. Absolutely. Our, our minds tend to compare everything we encounter in our environment and to judge those observances as well. And, and this really often prevents us from seeing the world exactly as it is. So it's definitely worth paying some attention to. We're missing out on pies. <laughs> that could be one manifestation. Right? It's something that is kind of natural that we do and walk us through how we stop this process that's very innate in us. Certainly, Holly. We, we're programmed, that is, our brains have developed to analyze everything in our environment, things that we see, hear, feel, etc., with our senses, and often judge the quality of that encounter. So, in other words, I think that over 50,000 years or so, our brains have developed because of perhaps evolutionary forces to be very discerning uh, of everything that we experience in order to keep us safe. So that includes, for example, we, we see a person uh, perhaps walking toward us on the street and we just automatically make some judgments about that person. Is Am I safe? Is this somebody who looks friendly? Should I get to the side of the sidewalk or across the street or what have you? So I think that from an evolutionary standpoint, this is something that did help keep us safe and perhaps gave us an evolutionary advantage if we were particularly discerning and even judgmental so that we would live longer, have more offspring, et cetera, and whatever the genes are that code for that sort of behavior spread in the population. And so here we are 50,000 years later, for example. And you know what was adaptive to early Homo sapiens is not necessarily still adaptive. For example, another quality that we had when we were cave dwellers was that we had to be very wary of everything in our environment. So we would be in our cave, uh, sitting by a fire with our family, and we had to imagine that there could be a saber-toothed tiger lurking right outside the cave. So this sort of projection into the future, this negativity bias, catastrophizing, what's the worst thing that might happen in the next five or ten minutes or the next hour or day? Uh, that was something that perhaps helped us survive, uh, have more children, live longer lives, and and therefore that sort of quality or trait or group of traits propagated in the population. But fast forward to today, most of us, fortunately, here in the United States in particular, are not living amidst constant threat. So to imagine that there's always a potential threat, you know, within our uh, 50 feet of our where we're, we're standing or what have you, uh, simply creates fear and anxiety. And it really doesn't provide any uh, adaptive benefit. So I think that judgment, again, is part of this set of qualities, set of circuits that our brain developed that is no longer adaptive and, and, and prevents us from being fully aware of the present moment and being happy. And therefore, it's really worth paying some attention to this and, and seeing how we can begin to rewire our brains. Fortunately, our brains have this wonderful quality called neuroplasticity. So we sort of become 
our thoughts to some degree. And if we change the way we think, we'll change uh, the way we feel. And we need to be intentional or purposeful about that. And the good news is that we can really become happier people. Yes, and I imagine that as a medical doctor, you definitely understand the real benefits of neuroplasticity. I mean, you've actually seen how this works. Absolutely. You know, and and babies and even infants have amazing neuroplasticity. I once took care of a newborn who was just a few days old and unfortunately suffered a major hemorrhage or bleed into uh, the brain. And and half of that baby's brain became non-functional. And when things had stabilized, we eventually transferred the baby out of the intensive care unit. And I saw that child seven years later, and she was almost perfectly normal. Uh, her cognition was normal. She had a little bit of weakness on the side of her body opposite where this hemorrhage had occurred. But clearly, the other half of her brain took on a lot of functions that were lost by the stroke. And that this is, you know, a relatively profound example. But even as adults, we can, through intentional practice, we can rewire our brains. And as I said, I think that our brains established their neural connections, these synapses, these pathways, these circuits over tens of thousands of years. So we're not going to flip a switch and change the way we think overnight. The good news is if we take baby steps and have a regular practice, within weeks and months, we can appreciate that we're actually thinking differently. And when it comes to non-judgment, I think that's extremely important. Yes. So you are a, a serious practice practitioner of mindfulness. Yes, I have a morning practice that uh, is in line with the GAIN method. So I got up in the morning and I open the blinds and I do my morning hygiene and then I find a comfortable place to sit. And I close my eyes and I begin focusing on my breath, slowing it down. That results in a reduction in heart rate and blood pressure. And then I ease into gratitude and go through a contemplation of gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment, return to the breath, and then open my eyes. And when we do this very simple practice that can be done in just a few minutes, <clears throat> what happens is that we go out into the world, and when we find that we're being ungrateful or judgmental, a light bulb goes off and we can recognize and maybe even have a bit of a laugh at our thought processes and change directions again. So let's say we do our gain meditation, we end with non-judgment, we commit to being less judgmental of others today. And then we get in the car to drive to work and we're driving in the left lane and somebody in the right lane changes into our lane in front of us without using their turn signal and perhaps they cut us off a bit and we immediately launch into a number of judgments about the driver and then <clears throat> excuse me because of our practice a light bulb goes off and reminds us that we pledge to practice non-judgment today so <laughs> we have a bit of a laugh at our nature and we drop the judgment and it feels good 
you know, it's just a little, you, you mentioned some of the neurotransmitters that represent or, or are secreted uh, and, and are involved in happiness, a little dopamine hit. We get a little dopamine hit when we drop those judgments and we smile and we feel better. So this is simply uh, an intentional practice that through its, our purposefulness can gradually change the way that we think. Yes. And again, I want to mention your book, GAIN, is the acronym for what you were uh, just walking us through regarding your mindfulness practice that you partake in every morning. And you talk about that in your book, GAIN Without Pain, the Happiness Handbook for Healthcare Professionals. Yes, I think that acronyms are good. We like acronyms in medicine. We, in medical school, embrace a number of them. We have to, for example, memorize the 12 cranial nerves. And so there are a lot of acronyms for that, you can imagine. Uh, so, you know, as I have done some study of religions and philosophies uh, over the past decades, I, I recognize that acronyms are good. Um, and it's good to kind of distill a practice into its simplest form. And Trying to remember the 10 steps to this or the 12 ways, that's just too many things for me, for my brain. So I found that a uh, four-letter acronym that embraces what I think are really the essence of happiness practice are adequate. And, you know, gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment each have their place, and I find them recurrent in all major philosophies and religions. And other important principles of happiness really are encompassed by one of these four. So hence the, the four-letter acronym GAIN. Yes, and there's just something very soothing even when you say them. I find that my breathing just changes, honestly. It's really amazing. So let's talk about the benefits of non-judgment. It's almost like the boomerang effect. Literally, when you when you do it to others, it's a benefit to yourself. Absolutely. Yes, I think that um, non-judgment is essential to happiness and being present. And happiness lives in the present moment. So however we can shift our attention to our present experience, which is really the only experience we ever have is this one right now, we're going to be happier. And let's face it, it's the one thing that all 7 billion of us want is happiness. I love Dr. John Kabat-Zinn's definition of mindfulness, and I consider him one of the fathers of modern mindfulness practice. He defined mindfulness as awareness of the present moment on purpose, non-judgmentally. And I think that encompasses some of the key ingredients to gain. That is awareness of the present moment on purpose. So on purpose is the I in gain or intention and non-judgmentally is the N in gain. And the reason we have to do this on purpose, in other words, have a practice, is that our default way of thinking is laden with negativity we all have a negativity bias. We tend to remember the negative and forget about the positive. And uh, I tell some stories about that in the book. 
And we also are very distracted with the past and the future in ways that are maladaptive. So, of course, there are useful ways of pondering the past. We should learn from our mistakes. We should savor our wonderful memories. But beyond that, we overthink the past and this tends to generate resentment, um, harboring this. I mean, yes, yes. Yes. And then the same with the future. Of course, we need to plan to put bread on the table and, and plan for happy times with loved ones. But beyond that, we overthink the future and this generates a lot of fear and anxiety. So I think that, you know, Dr. Kabat-Zinn indicated that being purposeful or the I and gain being intention is necessary. If we're not purposeful, then we automatically sort of lapse into our baseline way of thinking, which is being very distracted by the past and future in ways that are not helpful, and also judging things. And, um, you know, we can talk more about that. But this is why we have to be purposeful or intentional about guiding our thought processes. And the good news is, as I said, because of this hyperplasticity, if we have a daily practice, however brief, we will begin to notice that our thinking has changed. When we look back over the weeks and months since we started this practice, it's really remarkable and and really can help us be a lot more happy. Well, we all want to be happy. And I do, uh, I have been hearing that uh, the world is less happy today than it once was. And um, there's some studies that are pointing to that. So happiness is on our radar. Um, globally, and happiness is certainly something that we want for our listeners. So I'd like to talk more about this on the other side of break, because we can think about being uh, non-judgmental, but when somebody doesn't agree with your line of thinking, practicing it may be another story. So really want to test this theory. Um, So if you're willing to continue the conversation on the other side of break, when it comes to that, I'd like to do so. Sounds great. Great. Don't go anywhere because this fantastic conversation will continue. Today, we're so grateful to be with Dr. Greg Hamer talking all things living your best life. And sometimes we discover things we can do to open ourselves up to new and greater possibilities to do this. And uh, this happens to be one such topic, Aging Rebels, on your quest to enjoying life and uh, finding new ways to do it and um, pushing our comfort zone sometimes and becoming our best selves. You can learn more about his work and his book, Gain Without Pain, by visiting him at www.greghammermd.com. By the way, I know you out there love our show's theme song. That's by the one and only singer, songwriter, musician, Jim Beloff. And that is Aging Gratefully. You can find it in his album, Dreams, I Left in Pockets. And I invite you to get the entire album, show Jim some aging, gratefully love, and visit him at fleamarketmusic.com. Special thanks to you, aging rebels, tuning in all over the world. Oh my goodness, we've been charting every single day uh, on Apple Podcasts in different countries. So thank you so much how you have been sharing the show Thank you, Feedspot, for awarding us a top show on aging worldwide now four years in a row. We really appreciate it. And I haven't told you since the last episode that you rock and you role model, and I'm grateful for each of you. And that is my truth. I'm your host, gerontologist Holly Kelly, and we'll be right back. Hello, 
now, what if I told you, you could change your heart rate to live longer? What if I told you, you could change your breathing rate to live longer? What if I told you stress is the single biggest contributor to your health span and your lifespan, but that you are in control. Oh, yes. Hello. I am Dr. Alka Patel, lifestyle medicine doctor, longevity coach and award winning speaker. And I love using data to drive health. Now, why is this? It's because making sure that your approach to your longevity is personalized, precise and predictive is exactly what makes living longer, younger, possible. So if you want to know more about how to use cutting edge science to elevate your success, I would love to invite you to my free live virtual event called Outsmart Stress. Just head over to my website, dralkapatel.com, and you will see all of the details there. And in the meantime, just keep listening to this podcast. I had great fun in my interview with Holly and she truly, truly has a magical way of creating meaningful conversations. Wishing you a happy, healthy day. Sunrises and sunsets. Final Affairs Forged with Flair, Finesse and Functionality is a delightful book for every adult of any age and any stage. This multi-award winning book written by gerontologist Holly Kelly is a soul-soothing journey and novel approach to completing your personal affairs and advanced care planning. Readers are calling it transformative, life-changing, and fun. Prepare lovingly, plan thoughtfully, live dynamically. Available on Amazon and most bookstores. Author autographed copies are available at sunrisesandsunsetsbook.com where you can subscribe, register for a workshop, and more. My name is Gregory Landsman. I'm an author and TV host who shows people how to take years off their faces naturally and to feel good in their skin. I've just had a wonderful conversation with Holly Kelly on her program, Aging Gratefully an incredible show that is role modeling how we can age gracefully and gratefully. What I enjoyed about being on her show was the authenticity of Holly's approach and her genuine commitment to bringing her audience the best information out there. I truly believe that every person has a purpose, a way that we can contribute to the world. Clearly Holly's show is her living purpose and as a result, Aging Gratefully is a wonderful podcast. Thank you so much, best listeners and guests in the entire world. I'm an authority on that matter. I'm not an authority on a ton of things, but that happens to be one that I am. Welcome back to Aging Gratefully. I'm your host, gerontologist Holly Kelly. Today, we're here with Greg Hammer, MD, who, among many other things, is a Stanford University physician, a, a mindfulness expert, a great friend of the Aging Gratefully show. This we know. And so before we resume the conversation, I want to give our a, this week's listener appreciation shout out to an Apple listener who gave us five stars and they wrote, I get why aging gratefully is such a hit. It's engaging, informative and inspiring. Thank you. We try. The conversations that Holly has with her guests are entertaining and shock full of great info. You definitely feel uplifted after a listen. That's awesome. 
thank you. We really appreciate that. Thank you for leaving those reviews. And uh, we love recognizing our listeners that do. You know what else we appreciate? Today's guest. I know you're loving this conversation. We need this conversation because some things we do that we don't know we do. And we like to be aware of that. So go visit him and check him out at greghammermd.com. You can learn more about his life-enhancing work, his book, Gain Without Pain. You heard the acronym earlier, gratitude. Acceptance, intention, and non-judgment. Loving it. Uh, The Happiness Handbook for Healthcare Professionals. So I can think about that we definitely want to be non-judgmental and there's times that we think, okay, I'm not going to be a non, I'm not going to be a judgmental person. We don't have to agree with everyone. And I believe that we owe it to ourselves to be thoughtful receiverships of voice and alternative views, but it's hard for people at times when the alternative view doesn't align with their way of thinking. Absolutely. So I think, you know, one thing we need to do is be good listeners. Mm-hmm. We often yes. begin to form opinions and reflections on what perhaps the other person is saying. And we're thinking about our response and what we may agree and disagree with while the other person is still talking. So I think it's important to be present and to listen carefully. And we may just hear a theme that we do agree with, but um, certainly we don't agree with everybody on every topic. And so I think that the important point is to, as we are saying, to drop the judgments of the other person. And in the game practice, one method of focusing on non-judgment is as we're sitting, we're, we're breathing slowly and deeply and appreciating each in-breath, a pause and a slow exhalation. We've gone through the contemplation of our gratitude, accepting the pain in our lives that we cannot change, noticing how our purposefulness or intentionality helps us become more happy, and then finally settling on non-judgment. And and one thing I practice and teach is actually to visualize one of these beautiful NASA images of the Earth apparently suspended in space, and it is a beautiful planet. It's clear that the earth is neither good nor bad. The earth is simply as it is. And therefore, it only makes sense that the people on the earth, including myself, are neither good nor bad. They simply are. I simply am the person I am. I'm neither good nor bad. I simply am the person that I am, just like the earth itself. And this, I think, helps us appreciate that we don't have to cast a good or bad hue over that which we perceive and experience in our environment, including other people. We can simply accept them for what they are, just as we accept the Earth itself for this lovely planet. And we, as inhabitants of the planet, embrace similar characteristics of simply being. And this is a very simple principle. And, you know, we are particularly harshly judgmental of ourselves. So I think for all of us, that's the most difficult judgment to drop is that of self-judgment. But we can begin with dropping the judgment of 
that which we perceive in our world, things don't have to be good or bad. They simply are what they are. And the more we take steps in this direction, on this path of non-judgment, the more we begin to see the world around us for what it is, rather than sort of colored by our assignment of goodness or badness or too much of this, not enough of that. And when we see things as they are, we can appreciate their, their true beauty and simplicity. And that applies to the way we perceive other people as well. So even if we disagree, we don't need to judge. It's so interesting because we are called human beings. Absolutely. And that is really the essence of what we are and who we are. We are being. And this applies to everybody. We're all made of the same stuff. However you want to think about that, whether it's God, consciousness, we are all simply being and we're all in this together. And let's appreciate each other for who we are rather than cast judgments, which will, again, limit our ability to see the other person for the individual that they are. The self-judgment pointed inward is just personally toxic and it is so debilitating to one's personhood. And I feel that there is so much of that in the world today as the world has changed so much. I'll say since you and I were growing up, we didn't have so much in front of us that told us the narrative of perfection and this and that. I agree, Holly. I think the the last three or four years have been the most disruptive in my lifetime Um, between the COVID pandemic and all of the fallout that we continue to experience, uh, the war in Ukraine, just terrible, Um, global food shortage in part related to the war, but not limited to that. And, And at least as devastating as all the rest of it, the climate change and the anxiety that it creates, you know, I'm right. We shared before we went on that I'm writing a book about teenagers and imagine being 14, 15 years old and worried about the longevity of the planet. Am I going to have kids? Are my kids going to have a world in which to live? It's just uh, the combination of these things, I think, is, is, if not unprecedented, at least unique within my lifetime. And so, yes, I think that we all feel this collective pain and it does, you know, it adds to the negativity that we feel when we reflect on ourselves as well. A couple points, I think, for your listeners that will help unburden them. One is we're all the same. You know, we, we have this negativity bias. So we tend to hold on to negative thoughts in particular about ourselves. So We're not the only ones that have these so-called secrets and feel this regret and experience shame. Everybody feels that way. So that is just human nature. So that's one thing. We, We all tend to be particularly hard on ourselves, imagining that we are screwed up and, and other people in general are not. No, we all share this negativity bias. We all share the distraction with our past and also our future in ways that lead to shame and embarrassment. 
and fear and anxiety. So we're all the same. We're all in this together. So that I think is an important recognition. And we all are most harshly self-critical. And I think there's a you know beautiful behavioral cognitive exercise, which is that when we find that we are really down in the dumps, we're depressed. And I think we all get depressed, at least almost all of us. I certainly do at times. We can imagine that we're talking to a good friend rather than the self-talk. So I'm in the morning, you know, it's still dark outside. I'm waking up. I'm feeling kind of sad. My mind is beginning to awaken and to ruminate over things that bother me. And I'm self-critical. Now imagine that I'm talking to a good friend of mine who is also feeling kind of down and blaming themselves for this or that and feeling very harshly self-judgmental. Would I sort of add fuel to the fire or would I likely give comfort to that person and, and compassion and forgiveness if appropriate? So when we're feeling this ourselves, when we're feeling depressed, when we're feeling down, when we feel that we are worse than everybody else, that we have all these dark secrets to a greater degree than others, shift gears and imagine that we're having that conversation with a good friend. We would be very reassuring. We would say to them, we're all human. Those thoughts and experiences of yours are very similar to my own. And we would deal with them with compassion and love. And if we do that with them, it only makes sense that we do the same with ourselves. And of course, you know, this is a way of thinking that is not going to change overnight. I think that again, we've we've our brains have developed in this way for whatever reason over a long period of time. And the important thing is that we begin to turn the ship around, that we begin to take baby steps toward treating ourselves with more loving kindness as we would a good friend. And I think this is a great exercise. Buddy up yourself. Yeah, that's one way of putting it. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so important. And I think that's a very good message because with the last couple of years that we have had unprecedented times, a lot of people are alone. Absolutely. So you're and in yes, a situation to buddy up yourself. Absolutely. Be your own and I bestie. Think, you know, that, that really highlights another point to be made, which is I think we all need three things generally in order to be happy. I think that we need to be learning and growing ourselves. We need to be in community. We need to be connected with other people. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we need to be serving other people. And I think during COVID, many of us have spent an awful lot of time alone and out of community. And, you know, I think this can lead to depression, again, harsh self-judgment and unhappiness. And then this becomes kind of a self-propagating loop of negativity. So let's turn back outward toward our friends and family and others around us and and recognize that we're all the same. And let's get back onto that loving self-compassion and, and compassion and non-judgment of others as well. So we've talked about judgment from a variety of angles. Of course, my opening is visual in that had they seen the pie, they would have never even tasted that pie. That pie would have never made it. 
through the cut. So we can see something and make a powerful judgment and never welcome or accept something. So there's those types of judgments. There's judgments that we make in life and we kind of put a wall up and what's happening just based on what I've read about your work is that we are closing ourselves off from potential opportunities to learn and grow. Uh, We're also actually not lending ourselves to the opportunity of new friendships, of new ideas, of new experiences. And so when we do this, there's this whole bounty that could be waiting for us that these judgments are literally limiting ourselves from. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, we, um, again, we you know go back to the scenario where we're walking down the street and there's someone passing in the other direction and we begin to make judgments about them based on their appearance. You know, are they tall, short, fat, thin? How are they dressed? How are they walking? And we make all these judgments. And then when we pass by, we're not really seeing the person for who they are. And we're missing out on an opportunity to simply look them in the eye and say hello and get a little dopamine hit. Instead, we're making these negative judgments and we are the ones who lose out, in other words. And that's just a very simple, small example of losing out on an opportunity to smile, to get a little dopamine hit as we reach out to another person because we've made all these judgments and we've partly because of our negativity bias, made negative judgments about this person and seen them as a menace. And so we we move away instead of moving toward in general. And we, we do that in general with people that we encounter and we don't get to see them for who they are. And we miss out on a lot of opportunities to connect with others, which again, you know, being in community and in connection with others is one of the ingredients to being a, a fulfilled, happy person. Yes, and I think about judgment that's kind of something that's projected, that is a a negative thing where it's gossip or it's, you know, criticism and things like that. That's a form of judgment where you're talking negatively about somebody or you're criticizing or you're making rude commentary. Those things to me don't feel good. And when something doesn't feel good to me, it's debilitating to you, to oneself. To project negativity on another is literally a chink in your own emotional health. It does something to you. It's a takeaway. When you do that to another, it's a takeaway. I don't know if That's unusual for me to feel that way, but I feel that it's not a benefit to you. No, Holly, of course, you know, we all think that our thoughts are unique and gee, I'm the only person who feels this way. No, those thoughts that you described and you alluded to are universal. Mm -hmm. We all have those thoughts. And, uh, you know, the good news is if we're purposeful about it, we identify how we can become more present more grateful, more accepting, more purposeful or intentional, less judgmental, 
we can be happier people. And, and this is, I think, the very positive news is that we have this wonderful quality of neuroplasticity. And all we need to do is have a plan and stick to it. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the game practice is an example of a very brief practice. It can be sitting for three minutes in the morning. And then this really sets us up for seeing the world in a different way, in a more positive way and being more present. And when we lapse into old behaviors, having those little light, bulb goes, light bulbs go off and reminding us, gee, I'm, I'm complaining, I'm being ungrateful, look at how much I have for which to be grateful, or I'm being so judgmental, I'm losing out on the possibility of, of connecting with these other people. And as we get older, sometimes we get even more judgmental. And what happens is our world gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Very true. We end up spending more time by ourselves because we judge others poorly. And, um, you know, our, the number of people that we're really friendly with and, and close to shrinks. And this, again, becomes kind of a self-propagating process. And I've seen that in many, many people that I know who are of a certain age that their world is getting smaller and they're becoming less happy people. As they become, they sort of cave into this tendency toward negative judgments of others. Mm -hmm. I was going to say become a curmudgeon, but then that was judgmental. (laughs) And I think, you know, frankly, look at our politics. I know we're not going to talk about politics, but just in in a very broad sense, Mm -hmm. there's so much polarization that it's just, you know, we hear someone start to talk, and if they have a particular point of view that we may not agree with, we immediately judge them as on the other side. And we make all these assumptions, mm-hmm. you know, but people are not sort of one topic persona, mm-hmm. right? I mean, just because somebody feels a particular way about a very, you know, about abortion or about some very particular concept it doesn't mean that all of a sudden, you know, they they embrace all the other uh, ideals of somebody else we know in politics who has a, that one same point of view. And so we need to be open minded. We need to be good listeners. We need to bring ourselves to the present so that we can really uh, absorb what's going on without judging. I guess. Yes. And that's what I was saying. Like this show will never be a show about politics, but on that topic, what I wish would happen with regard to that is some families are in divide and I'm not speaking over that subject. Here's what I wish. I wish that it could be done respectfully and people not outcast one another because of that, because there's more to the person than a political view. There's more to a person than somebody's thoughts about an issue. But instead, somebody's just going to no longer speak and they're no longer going to be around that individual that has so much more to them. And in fact, I'm certain that these two people love each other, care about each other, have so much more other things that they can talk about but we're going to judge over one thing and divide over one thing. And I certainly don't think that that's, they're not able to get past it. And absolutely. I think we, almost all of us have experienced that in our own families. Yes. I think that 
that almost all of us have at least one person in our family that we love, we have loved, we've had a lot of good times with, but who may have a point of view that we don't agree with. And so we cast this sort of broad judgment uh, over them, and we're not really seeing the person anymore. We're simply putting that person in a little box, and this is, you know, they're a Democrat or Republican, they're liberal or conservative or whatever, and we're not really seeing the person as they are. And that's what happens with judgment. Judgment means we are looking through a tinted lens at the world. And we're not seeing that which we experience as it truly is. And I think this is really just, you know, when when we're exposed 24-7 to media whereby you're either on one side or the other, we tend to judge and categorize people as being on that one side. And um, unfortunately, this prevents us from, from really experiencing, sharing uh, experience with that person. It's, it's very unfortunate. I've experienced that in my own family. I would invite people to be on the side of love and family and non-judgment when it comes to certain uh, topics and conversation and welcome people back into their heart uh, through this non-judgment conversation when it comes to that. I can't imagine that there's some things that, um, can't see past love. Absolutely. I agree with you completely, Holly. Yes. So as we wind down to the final uh, moments in our conversation here today, I love that you brought up self-talk and mindfulness and these practices. Judgment stokes our own fears and anxieties and insecurities. We know that it doesn't feel good. I don't feel good being around very judgy people um, because it's kind of got this contagion effect. It's like, you know, kind of it's a downer for me. Um, And, you know, I don't feel good uh, if I would be judging of another, even though, you know, I know that I'm guilty of it. And, you know, who who wouldn't be to be human? But what would you like to share and make sure that we've covered and haven't overlooked on this topic? Well, I think just in a very short period of time, I would just encourage people to one, not be too self-judgmental. We all have the same apparent faults. We're all human beings. We're all made of the same stuff. So let's not judge others and let's not judge ourselves harshly as well. And um, in order to be a, embracing of a non-judgmental way of looking at the world and ourselves, it takes a plan. It takes intentionality or purposefulness. And the good news is is something that we can all join, uh, get on the path toward being less judgmental. We just need a practice, preferably a daily practice, even a brief practice of embracing non-judgment and Again, the good news is that through this intentional practice, we can gradually rewire the way we think to be less self-judgmental and and less judgmental of others as well. Yes. So you're writing this book and it's more for adolescents or? I'm I'm actually writing the book with a PhD psychologist named Dr. John Rutger. 
and it's a book about teenagers and uh, it's not really for teenagers it's for parents teachers school administrators counselors therapists about the journey of adolescence its challenges and <clears throat> excuse me what's unique about what teens are experiencing now and then as the covid pandemic wanes and and we're faced with all these other issues that we've di- we've discussed yeah, and I can't imagine because it has been such an unprecedented time. And I just feel like this generation is, you know, fraught with challenges just with um, everything else, too, whether there had been a pandemic or not. I just feel like the measuring up and I am not enough and having just so much need to feel perfect. Absolutely. And and all of the competition and pressures, both academic and non-academic, that teens experience now. Uh, they really need our help. And if we're going to help our teens, we need to live right ourselves. And and I think this is, you know, again, back to the game practice, back to being more mindful and, and aware of the present. We need to to be that and radiate that for our children and, and our grandchildren. I totally agree. I love that you're writing that book. And I I feel that that's just yet another reason. I feel that the role of Aging Rebels listening is so powerful and so important because we are not only role models, but mentors and excellent examples to the younger generations behind us and show them the way and and remind them that they are enough as they are. I couldn't agree more, Holly. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for this great work that you are bringing to the world and all the work that you do, your book, Gain Without Pain. And I invite listeners to visit with you at greghammermd.com. Of course, we can't have the hour end without knowing how you age gratefully. Uh, I think it's all about being present and therefore fully experiencing each moment. None of us want to get toward the end and look back and think, gee, I just really didn't get the most out of my life. Um, So if we're present and we fully experience without judgment, our current experience will be happier and healthier and, and probably live longer life as well. So true. Yes. And like you said, the present moment is the one we have. Yesterday is gone and tomorrow's not here yet, right? Absolutely. Yes. Thank you so much. We really appreciate all the work that you're doing and being our guest. Uh, It's been a pleasure and a joy. Thank you so much, Holly. It was wonderful to be with you again. Thank you. Same for us. You've been listening to Aging Gratefully, and I'm your host, gerontologist Holly Kelly. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you've enjoyed our message, I invite you to subscribe and share it with others. May you remember to never act your age and that age is just a number. And may you enjoy and embrace the coming week in the spirit of gratitude. Until we meet again, here's to living your best life now. I used to think time was my enemy My future wasn't looking good So worried about the things I couldn't see I couldn't see the things I could I was aging fearfully Worrying my life away When all along I should have been Thankful for every day finally made a friend of time now you could say that i'm 
aging gratefully. Mm -hmm. 